This is Living Proof Radio, May 2024. All of our full episodes are available on our Patreon with weekly drops, a Patreon-only radio show, and Living Proof magazine delivered to your house every issue, as well as our entire members-only library backlog. Patreon.com slash York. All right, yo, super happy to say today on the show we got the one and only, we got Nav York in the motherfucking whoa, house. Whoa, whoa, Nov York, nigga. <laughs> Get it right? All right, so I just want everyone to know who's listening to this that I don't know, I don't know exactly what you guys expect you're going to hear, but we're going to be talking about graffiti, and we're not going to be talking about beef, we're not going to be talking about just a lot of things of the past, we're going to be talking about graffiti, so I just want to put that out there, so... That being said, I guess we'll start it off with, when did you start writing graffiti? Um, yeah, I was a young kid around 1993 or so, something like that. Well, you know, it's not about writing graffiti, but like noticing it was a big deal. And I remember seeing that around 1993, tags on the wall started talking to me, let's just say, you know what I mean? And, uh, you know, but there's a difference between when you start writing and when you start bombing, maybe, you know, it took a couple of years to really get into the, uh, into it, but... It's funny, I drove out here today to the Queens from Brooklyn, and I, I got a little bit lost, and uh, I still don't know how to work this cell phone with the GPS and everything's so good. So I was like, you know, like looking at how to do things, and yo, I saw all these spots that I used to have out here. So I used to be out here. I, I mean, I got off the highway at the wrong spot on the LIE because that was the spot I used to get off at, you know? But, you know, graffiti meant so much to me back in the day, and it meant about, like, getting all city, going all city and bombing and shit. So, like, there's all these things that are caught up in it. But, yeah, definitely around 14 years old, 15 years old, 16 years old is probably when I was really starting to really paint, steal my mother's car, and just saying, let's do it, you know? Yeah, so when you, when you started off, when you were 14, 15, did you already kind of know what was up in terms of, oh, okay, I got to write this name, it's about letters, letter structure, going to all the five boroughs, or when did you realize the thing that it was supposed to be? Yeah, that, that probably came later. Like, uh, definitely didn't know nothing. I'm a, I am started as a toy, still am a toy, but, like, I didn't know I, anything. I had no, you know, older brother or cousins who did graffiti. It was just this thing I kind of fell in love with, you know, and um, it, was, it was the other graffiti writers who I met who put me on to what you're supposed to be doing. Now, I mean, I, I, I saw their letters, and I wanted to copy their letters, and I had this horrible throw-up for the first couple of years. And then, finally, like, I'm fucking with MN a lot and pain, and, and it just started to work, you know? I started figuring out the letters. And All City, I mean, yeah, that became part of the game. And, and so I'll just say from the start now, we can talk about graffiti as a game because to me it was always a game. Mm-hmm. A lot of people want to say it was an art, and it definitely, definitely is an art as well, um, and I still respect it as an art. But I just want to say when I was doing it, at like my young age, it was, it was a competition, I would say. You know? And we'll, 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 you know, I write about that in the thesis. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, so basically... Before Nov came over here, I was reading up on his thesis. Um, it's about how how graffiti. He presents the story of how graffiti ended up becoming an art, which it was really interesting to me to read about because a lot of graph writers don't think of graffiti as an art. In fact, I've heard a lot of graph writers and world known graph writers say graffiti is not art. 
but makes a really good point of why it is and how it became that way and where it's, where it comes from. A lot of thoughts that most writers never have, never even stop to think about. You just say, oh, I'm a king or, oh, I'm a toy or I'm writing this, I'm writing that. And you don't even produce a thought. And it's just interesting to me that you have these thoughts, period. Because a lot of people don't. Most writers don't. Well, I, I'm, I'm a very lucky person who uh, I got accepted to a program for my Ph.D., I was able to move to Germany for seven years where I was able to reflect on my own life, reflect on my own decisions, reflect on the way I behave and stuff, and um, and, and our world here in New York and how different it is from everywhere else. I actually, I grew up thinking that everybody grew up the way I grew up, and then I moved to Germany, and I'm like talking to people, and they're saying, nah, man, we did not have to fight every day. We, you were, we were not carrying knives every day. I, I used to carry a fucking box cutter, and I would carry a lock, you know, for like your locker. And mm -hmm. I would always like always ch 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 shuffling my box cutter, always holding on to my lock because somebody is going to hurt me. Now, I, I look back on it saying, oh, paranoia. You was a paranoid teen. But nah, things was crazy back in the day. And we was all like it was a straight up violence a lot. And the, here's the thing, though. In the 90s, we were like, nah, because this is nothing. Uh, in the 70s, these dudes was really putting in that violence, you know. And so like every decade is like, no, it's getting better. It's getting better. And. I don't know. It changes. The violence changes and the vibe of violence changes. But, uh, um, yeah, did that answer the question? I don't even know uh, yeah, yeah, where yeah. I started with that. Yeah, yeah, but I guess you could say that humanity as a whole is slowly going towards peace. There's ups and downs, but each it almost seems like each, each, uh, each era or each society is slightly less violent than the other. I don't, it's hard to say because... You know, we got wars and all these crazy nuclear weapons. Right. But I'm just like, I guess even just talking about New York in itself, you can see that change happening. Now New York is one of the safer cities in the world. I don't know. I don't know how much I agree with that. Only to say um, how that comes about is what I think is more violent than the actual violence. So, so without a doubt, like there were really bad things that happened in the past between human beings. You know what I mean? Um, one thing I could even just say off the top of my head thinking about this subject is how we used to take um we used to take the car antennas we used to rip them off the cars this is back when car antennas used to like go up and mm -hmm. down they don't do that anymore but um if they were up we would rip them off because they could make a gun and we could put a bullet in there and make a gun out of it that nobody could trace because uh, you, you could you could put a you could put a uh, um you could put a bullet inside these hollow uh how do you call it like tubes yeah you could take an, uh, a rubber band and a nail and you could pull it back and you could shoot somebody and it was like there ain't no way you could get caught for that and it was like crazy shit like that and also robbing people on 42nd street the way so i grew up on a block where there was a guy who actually did that for his job and he taught me how to how to do it, how to, how to rob people's pockets and how to get away from the police. And so it was like this crazy thing where the guy was like, there's shadows and you watch shadows following you. And if the shadow, same shadow follows you too long, you're being watched and you got to fucking cut down this way. You know what I mean? So like, I mean, this is a crazy thing, but all right. So those are the crazy things that happened. But then the police force, I believe, and I write about this in, um, in one book that I wrote called The World Screaming Nof, Um, the police force became way too... Uh, <clears throat> powerful under Giuliani, way too, also just just 
criminals themselves and um i mean we're talking about it today with black lives matter but the fact is they arrested every black person every black man and i mean the plenty of black women in prison but what i'm trying to say is every black dude i knew back growing up every little minor infraction they'd be put in prison for and um it was a it was a crazy thing so i don't necessarily subscribe to the idea that we're in a peaceful society today i think we're in a oppressive society that forces black people into prison um, and I'm against that. I'm against this society. I'm against this so-called peace. I believe that I, I prefer war over this so-called peace. Yeah, you would and, say, yeah sorry. Oh, sorry to interrupt. Um, so you would say this so-called peace is almost, um, it's almost an illusion. They try to sugarcoat all these things and make people think that we're living in a more peaceful society, but low-key, we're still living in a very oppressive society where people are very um, separated and divided, and we're definitely not anywhere near united, which would bring quote-unquote peace you know what I mean yeah and that reminds me of the neoliberal and if you look into what that word means the neoliberal is like uh, Starbucks it's like mm-hmm. a way of saying everything's cool here but it's um it's it's not real it's not from the community it's mm-hmm. imposed peace okay. rather than peace that comes from the community you know what I mean and so we can put the Disney smile on everything and say everything is peace here but uh when you get down to the nitty-gritty uh there will never be peace. There will always be war as long as uh, white supremacy is out there and as long as people feel that um, white skin is better than any other skin. That's like uh, from Bob Marley? Okay. You know, I mean, that's that song. I mean, that's that, that song. Right, from Selassie, Hale yeah. uh, Selassie. Ah, you're right. I, yeah. I didn't mean to be um, yeah, 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 yeah. misquoting him, but uh, it just, yeah, that just came to my mind right now. Yeah, so I'm just going to switch gears real quick before yeah, yeah. we stray too off topic from the graph. Um, so you talk about how pretty much all graffiti comes from 1970s New York City subway. Well, I can't say all graffiti. Check it out. What I do in here is I, I, I differentiate. All right. So maybe I should introduce real quick to just say that I, again, I moved to Germany. I was accepted to this PhD program and I got very, you know, very luckily, um, I was able to study. So for the first couple of years, I didn't even write about graffiti. I just studied cultural and literary studies okay I studied um yeah Marxism if you want to say that but I also I, I studied all these different cultural movements and I realized that graffiti even though you know I have my own personal feelings about it uh it is this thing that needs to be studied you know what I mean like so I Coming out of the graffiti movement makes me hesitant to talk about it because it's like you don't talk about God if you are religious. You know what I'm saying? You don't talk about the shit you do. You just do it. But then you get a little older and then you figure out, you know, I'd like to talk about it. And so I saw this book um, called Taking the Train by Joe Austin, which is a, a Ph.D. thesis. And he, he, um, he wrote about graffiti from one vantage point, which I respect but it was obvious to me that Joe Austin was never a graffiti writer yeah, because I am a graffiti writer who I like to push back when people try to tell me, oh, this is this is the, this. And I'd be like, nah, it's not like that. It's like this. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And um, so, yeah, I wrote this thesis. And I wouldn't say that all graffiti comes from 1971 New York City. Okay. What I want to say is um, graffiti, which I mean, all right. So, again, I lived in Europe. I've lived in South America. I've lived in the Caribbean. Um I did, I, and I visited like different places in Asia, and I'm telling you this. So you know, because you guys write graffiti, 
there's a certain style of graffiti, you know what I mean, that is out there. And I call that graffiti. So everything that, so I call everything that comes out of the style of, of, of from Tacky 183 to, uh, to, to Dondi, you know, 1970s graffiti, everything that comes from that, I call that graffiti. Everything else I call whoa, whoa, which I say is writing on walls and objects. And so you can go to any other city in the world and find whoa, whoa, for sure. And has nothing to do with New York City in the 70s. -hmm. You can find people writing messages, writing poetry, writing, you know, political this, political a cab to to anything. But you won't, if they're writing graffiti the way you guys and I understand it, you know, fill-ins, tags, et cetera, they're coming out of 1971. I I mean, I feel like they are birthed from Tacky 183. You talked about this, how... um how graffiti nowadays it might not be the same style as the 1970s, but writers they they definitely have made an ad- adherence. You know they pass down the rules, the forms, and the placements. You know like certain like an unspoken bible or a set of rules. You know and um, and that what, those those rules are coming from from the from that era. Yeah, you know from that I mean? era. From and just core, just so people know, just to give you an example of what whoa whoa is again, I'll say it's writing on mm-hmm. writing on walls and objects. This spans from anything like the caveman paintings, Pompeii, writing on walls, uh, the hieroglyphics of ancient Egypt, and things like bathroom stall graffiti, and messages written on bombs by soldiers. Like That is writing on walls and objects, as opposed to what we're talking about, which is uh, almost like a stylistic approach from, that comes from the foundation of 1970s New York City subway graph. Yes, and, and I felt like I really needed to to say that and, and put that, make that um, uh, kind of point, uh, be, uh, put this put this block in between them because always, like, I, you know, I listened to hip-hop growing up and, like, KRS-One and different people like that would be like, graffiti is related to ancient mm-hmm. Egypt. Graffiti is related to mm-hmm. Pompeii. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Graffiti is related to, and I'm like, all right, all right, how? You, you dig? And then they would... So another thing is, even in Subway Art, they talk about graffiti is related to Kilroy was here. And I always just just accepted that shit because I was a young person who wasn't necessarily asking questions. I was just allowing the information to come to me. You know what I'm saying? And so like they would always be like, Kilroy was here is connected to graffiti. And not, I, I say it like that, but I'm not saying nobody ever rapped that. But you always see people talking about, well, you know, Kilroy was here. was the first fucking graffiti. And so I was like, why is it that World War II, because Kilroy was here, comes out of World War II. Mm-hmm. How is it possible that World War II is related to graffiti? You know what I'm saying? So I was always very interested in that story. Um, and so I actually, that's really kind of how my thesis started. I had this question. I was like, how is Kilroy connected to graffiti? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And so um, today I brought a couple of presents for y'all. I brought uh, four books that I wrote that I'm, um, I'm giving to y'all. But one of them is, this is my, f- my latest book called Kilroy's Conformity, right? And um, what I realized when I was doing all this research, studying Kilroy, A, is that, no, Kilroy is not connected to graffiti. That was just some... It's an imagined mis- connection. Yeah, an, an imagined connection. That's a very good thing. Um, and in fact, I would say what Kilroy represents Kilroy was here represents to me it represents conformity with the military industrial complex it represents conformity with the American way of life it represents conformity with uh, segregation and racism and anti-black behaviors Kilroy to me does not represent tacky what tacky 183 is and um, what I love about this book uh, there's like images in here my wife drew the pictures in this book and on 
chapter, the beginning of chapter seven, she redrew an image that we found in the like the New York Post back in the day. And you see here, Tacky 183 and Kilroy uh, 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 um, chopping it up right there in the subway station. And yeah. Kilroy saying, you know, Kilroy was here, like get down with the scene. And I think Tacky's over there saying something Doing like, his own thing. Doing his own thing, yeah. yeah, he's saying, you know, I, I ain't with y'all. I ain't with y'all. You know, and I That's love it. that. It's crazy because if you think about it, in a sense, they're both writing on walls. You're saying one of them is conforming, the other one is doing the opposite of conforming. Well, when I say conforming, think about what Kilroy was here stands for. It stands for the military men who were, by the way, this was a segregated time in America. This is, before, this is during Jim Crow. So this is like, again, we don't get this education in our high schools in New York City. This is shit you got to fucking figure out for yourself. Yeah. But this is a time during Jim Crow. That means black and white soldiers were not allowed to stay together. Okay, They were um, separated. In fact, black soldiers, so I did mad research for this, by the way. Mm -hmm. Black soldiers were not allowed to fly airplanes. Everybody's talking about, oh, Tuskegee Airmen. Mm -hmm. The Tuskegee Airmen were not allowed to fly over Europe. The whites believed that the blacks were going to kill the whites. So whites are always afraid of the blacks. They wouldn't give black people guns in World War II because they thought they were going to kill them kill the white Americans rather than kill the Nazis. So because of the mistrust of the white man in America, there was really no fighting force of black people in World War II. The fighting force of black people comes out in Korea, comes out in Vietnam, and they are also the, uh, the ones who die the most frequently, you know what I mean? And they are murdered by their own soldiers. And I know this as a fact mm -hmm. um, because I am also a military person myself who I've, I've studied the military, you know what I'm saying? Um, and uh, but all I'm saying is like I really felt it was important for my thesis. So I started off talking about Kilroy. I needed. I found out the difference between Kilroy and Tacky, and I said, "Oh boy, I really got to go deeper with this." You know what I'm saying? And um, this this Kilroy's conformity book is not an academic work of uh, a work. It's it's like more my my own ideas on the military industrial complex connected being connected to graffiti. Um, but so I was able to then get beyond these ideas that people had put in my head mm -hmm. and then get to the real deal talk. Mm -hmm. Yeah, speaking of your thesis and speaking of Kilroy comparing to Tacky 183, you, you describe consensus reality and... Um, Imagination? And individual imaginings. Yeah. Right. You know what I mean? And you talk about how consensus reality is a reality on which most people in a community can agree upon. And graffiti, was, which was more individual imaginings, um, would you say that individual imaginings were kind of like an underground revolution or rebellion towards consensus reality, like the regular people walking on the street. It was like a subculture, so to say. It's, it's hard to say that it's a revolution because mm -hmm. I see it happening every day. Yeah. Like I would say um, with the current person who occupies the White House, mm -hmm. when he came to the stage the first time, everybody laughed at him. They said, "This you're a jokester, right? And then somehow he still got through. And what I'm saying is his individual imaginings of his grandeur of his life translated into a communal mm. uh, a, a, a community who agreed with his yeah. his his ideas yeah. and what i'm trying to say with with this idea mm. between individual um imagination and communal what is it um consensus reality consensus, consensus reality. reality it's like tacky 183 so yeah. this is wonderful that you bring this question up because tacky 183 in the article Tacky 183 spawns pen pals from uh, 1971 in the New York Times. The, the person who wrote that asks him, they say, uh, you know, what's this about? And he's like, oh, you know what? I'm doing this to get out of the Vietnam War. So this is 1971 mm -hmm. that he's getting spoken to by, by a, a so-called um, 
uh, I wouldn't even call it a reporter. There wasn't a New York Times reporter, but it was a person that he knew. And they're saying, why are you doing this for? Because everybody's getting upset. Why you got to have your name everywhere? And I guess Tacky 183 had a lot of ups. And people are like, yo, Tacky, why you got to be keeping doing this? We don't want to see this. He's like, nah, I am, I'm getting out of the Vietnam War because I'm crazy. See, I write my name, I'm crazy. And what I'm trying to say is the individual imagination of that then becomes this next level where everybody thinks graffiti writers are crazy or he, he for a, a, he didn't go to the Vietnam War, so it was true what he said. But at the same time, there are other graffiti writers who talk about the artistry of graffiti, and they're like, this is an art, this is an art, this is an art. And their, their own ideas became also a consensus reality. You see this happen a lot. And so it was hard for me to come up with those terms. I don't, I don't even know if I invented those terms or if I just put words together or something. Um, but like you'll see in life, there are people who are dreamers and people who are like realists, right? But somehow the dreamers make their life in, like get into the, yeah. the realists world. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And people, so at first you look like a madman and second, all of a sudden people are accepting you. So that, that's what I'm talking about there, I guess. Yeah. They say that that just reminds me of some quote. I don't remember who said it, but something along the lines of that all truth goes through three stages. First it's, uh, ridiculed and laughed at second it's violently opposed and then the third is it's accepted as uniform truth and everybody accepts it wow. accepts it as that that's that's a that's a fascinating quote but i mean you would have to put truth in quotation marks there for me because what is truth again if truth is only the thing that we all agree upon then that's not truth you know what i mean like yeah. it, truth can't be the thing we all agree upon i mean let's say the majority agrees upon well that doesn't make sense if the majority agrees on something that makes it true but in a way it 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 does Right. I mean, I don't call it the truth, but it is yeah. well, you a say, truth. You say a in, truth. Your, in your in your PhD something about how there's really no way, real way to define reality. That's something I learned in my studies. I didn't I didn't invent that um, thought. That that's something I learned because I was also looking for reality. Um, how to define reality? I went through all these different ways of trying to define reality. It turns out. There's no one definition of reality. Um, reality is what you want it to be. It's all in your right. mind. And, but, but again, it could be all in your mind, the individual, or it could be that individual thought that becomes a consensus reality. And now all of a sudden we're all saying president this one or we're saying fucking, you know, any other idea. See, something that I had a big question about is when did all of these... Because, you know, people, including me, they know you through state your name and the, that, that video a lot. Um, they don't really know the you outside of that. And you have all these thoughts and all these, you know, these, yeah. this introspection that you've put into. So it's clear you've done a lot of thinking. When exactly did that all start coming about where you start realizing the bigger picture of things in and out, outside of graffiti? Um. You know, I, I always say that it comes back to when I first took LSD. I uh, honestly say this. I believe that LSD saved my life. It saved my brain. Um, you know, uh, again, I don't want to talk about my life so much, but I want to just say that maybe I come from a world of, of, of evil, and then I was able to take... LSD and realize, oh shit, you know, things can be different. I mean, LSD was a trip. They call that take, you know, going on a trip. Let me tell you something. Also leaving this country is a, is a trip, right? And you can learn a lot about yourself. So when you grow up in Brooklyn or Queens or the Bronx or wherever, and you're like, oh, this is the way the world is, you know, 
then you're stuck in that's the way the world is. But then if you take a trip, get outside of your head, get outside of what you were taught and told all the time, you can be like, well, you know, there are other ways of seeing things. Um, I wrote my first book, Nov York, while I was bombing, actually. I mean, I actually remember bombing the same exact spot I just saw when I came over here. I did it in 1995. It was this corner spot i have the picture in my book back at home um and i remember going and writing in my journal i know it's so funny right to think that i would write in my journal but i wrote in a journal during that time and i'm like yo this craziest thing just happened fucking this guy showed up the police showed up i ran this way i hid under a car i got on a roof like all this shit that i thought was so fascinating i just started writing this shit down because i'm like dude nobody lives the life that i'm living Mm -hmm. as a bomber um and you know what it is? I feel like writing became my therapy. So I wrote my first book, really wrote it in the 90s, but I wasn't able to publish it. I self-published it in 2002, right? And for me, 9-11 was a major uh, marker in my life. And so it's like before 9-11 and after 9-11. So I wrote it before 9-11. I released it after 9-11. And I have all my anger towards Giuliani in this book. And it says, kill Giuliani, because I was, I was writing kill Giuliani a lot. I was writing all these messages of like, I was writing things like wake up. I was writing things like, um, I was writing a bunch of like, I don't know, political things. So I've always been rather political, let's say. And part of the, you know, being part of the the movement, if you will. Um, And then 9-11 happened. And then people are like, oh, we can't publish. Oh, not people. But I'm just saying, I spoke to a couple of people like, what do you think about this? And they're like, we we don't want to publish anything that says like Giuliani, you know, fuck Giuliani. And I'm like, no, it's it's really important in my story that like we have to like kill Giuliani, you know. So I self-published my book in 2002. And then from there, I got so much love from the graffiti community. I mean, a big reason I'm here today talking to you guys uh, I imagine you guys are younger than me by about 15 years, if not more. And I'd say I love the graffiti community from the older people to the younger people and to my peers because, like, these people give a lot of love. Like, these are people I can talk to. And so, anyway, I wrote this book, Nov York, and I got so much feedback. And this is, again, before the internet. Do you understand? I had people write yeah. letters to me, like letters, like I was in prison, like handwritten letters I have from people saying, I love your book you know, can we build? And so that's, that's what got me to Europe. Again, I'm a piece of shit from Brooklyn who was able to get to Europe, the, you know, which was never even a dream of mine. I don't give a fuck about no Europe. Where the fuck is it Europe anyway? You know what I'm saying? That's where my, my, my grandparents came from, and I don't want to go back there. And then people in Europe are reading my book, and they're like, yo, you know, we also write graffiti out here. And I was like, wow, man, y'all is... Y'all serious? Like y'all, even, and, and English isn't their first language. I'm talking about like my man Pazer from Paris. He, he's, he gets in touch with me in like 2003 or 2004 after my book drop. He's like, yo, love this. We got to do something. Next thing you know, I'm in Paris. I'm, I, I speak French all of a sudden. How do I speak French? I don't even know how this shit happened, my G. You feel me? Yeah. And, um, and it's all because of that book. That's crazy. Yeah, a lot of people... You said you moved to Europe like you never expected this because I know people on my block because I live in Brooklyn too. They've never been to like Staten Island, right. so to say, you know. So and you touch base on LSD and psychedelics. I don't want to go too far into that, but from my personal experience, that it's really an eye opener. You know, like I was I was always like a loner, very insecure when I was younger. When I took LSD or psilocybin, it made me realize that life is not that serious and there's so much love out there. And then all your insecurities are just in your head. And once you start breaking out of that, you start manifesting all these new realities and you can live a new life and change your whole predicament and not be about violence and not be about 
crime and negativity, you know, and just hearing you talk about that, talking about LSD, man, that really, honestly, it touches me because not a lot of people talk about that nowadays. Well, I love that you said that because it's true. This whole idea of manifesting reality. So like uh, uh, a big thing, you know, maybe today people think about self-help books or self-help mm. like philosophies. And you just said it, psilocybin. That was a word I could never pronounce back in the day. But they say, they show it so much in the newspaper nowadays, saying how like you know uh, uh, this is what can help cure your depression or whatever it was. You know, man, I was 14 years old. I took a whole lot of LSD, and I tell you, thank God, because I was raised in a horrible culture. I was, I'm telling you, I was raised in a horrible culture. Uh, I I really feel bad for my parents. I feel bad for the people who were older than me because I can't believe the hatred that they came from. I can't believe the, the anger and, uh, and, and the PTSD that they must have to have tried to raise me in such a, a way. And, you know, and I, and I notice my peers who are still like thinking this, this bizarre old fashioned yeah. way. And I say, wow, I'm really sorry for you that you, you know, and I really say LSD is my God because LSD got me out of that shit. And LSD brought me to my book. Uh, and it brought me to writing, and it brought me to education, and it brought me to thinking outside of the box, if you will. And um, maybe we should get into the books right yeah, now. Yeah. I tell you what, I brought four books for y'all. I brought The World Screaming Nove, which is my book about um, take, getting all the, freeing all the homies, freeing all the homies from Rikers Island, and taking over New York, killing all the police, except I have a line in here that says, cool cops rock, but all the rest of y'all gotta die. So take it how you want. Um, and, and when did you write that? I that wrote this book in 2000, what does it say here, eight perhaps? Because with the climate right now, you know, people might be like, oh, he just wrote that because, uh, you know, everything going down. So 2008. I know, well, this is from 2008. It. Well, here's the thing. I mean, everything that's going down ain't new. Yeah. Everything that's going down has been happening forever. You got Amadou Diallo in 1999. You know what I'm saying? You, you, just, you could talk about George Floyd today, but the, the big name when I was a kid was Amadou Diallo. And then... And it was, uh, you know, and this dude, um, Bruce Springsteen, wrote a song about it, 41 Shots. Google that shit, 41 Shots. You know, like, we've been talking about police brutality for a long time. I'll be honest with you, though, when I was younger, it still didn't make sense the way it's making sense to me now. Like, uh, when they say defund the police, can I tell you that I've never heard that in my life? And I think it's an awesome option, okay? I'm not saying that they're going to defund the police. They obviously won't. But it's an awesome option to think that we don't need to have this control over us. You know what I mean? Because the police state, it stems from the military state. And I want to just tell you again, my family, like my blood family are all wrapped up in the military and police. And so this is why I speak about this shit. Because I, I know the inside. Yeah. You see from personal experience. I know what the fuck is happening. And so I, I talk about this shit Seriously, like I'm not just joking about it because I know who is in the military, I know who is in the police department, and I know how fucked up they are towards black people. A, like real talk. But um, so there's the world screaming no. There's the one book I'm giving y'all to read, and then the next book I have here is Alcohol Makes You Invincible, which is mad funny that um, it talks all about like what happened to us today. Like I, I don't mean to say today, but like in the last couple of months, like it's it's basically this drunk guy who's just like the whole world is over, and uh, let me just fucking get drunk. And I feel like that's that's been a lot of people for the last three or four months. Then we got um, what do one million JA tags signify? That's a book I'm giving to y'all right now. Uh, sold out, but I bet you can find it somewhere on the interweb. 
All of these books, it's hard to find. I actually, well, not all of them, but anyway. One, what to one million JA tag signifies a book I wrote, and it's all about graffiti too. Um, I go hard on what I feel like, yeah, what those what 30 years of JA tags mean. But an, uh, in another like idea, it's not just about JA, it's about graffiti. You know what I'm saying? It's because I'm all about graffiti. This had a, I wrote this while I was writing my thesis, and I also realized this was not academic writing. This was like more... Um, Brooklyn boy writing you know what I mean I'm talking mm-hmm. about my girlfriend I'm talking about uh, other people I'm talking about different things drugs and whatnot. and that's not what you can write in a thesis you know yeah. what I mean so I was writing that while I was writing my real thesis and I also wrote Kilroy's Conformity like I was just talking about earlier um, but then here we are with my thesis here and the thesis is called Subway Artifact and it's all about how graffiti went from child's play to an original art and so I would just say right here at the beginning, I say it starts as child's play because Tacky183, this beautiful, beautiful person and this beautiful idea of this person uh, comes out and starts tagging his name everywhere. And the New York Times comes out with an article that says Tacky183 spawns pen pals. And supposedly in the graffiti lore, you know, that's the beginning of, of, the, of graffiti. Mm-hmm. And... Um, and I dig it. I, I think that's a really good beginning spot for what we call graffiti, in fact. Some people want to go back to Julio 204 or 207. I can't mm-hmm. remember right now. 204, yeah. right? Um, and then, you know, other people want to say this and that. To me, what I write in my thesis is it's not necessarily the person Tacky183, but it was this article, Tacky183 spawns pen pals, which is what spawns the real pen pals. Yeah, it talked about how New York Times, they, it, graffiti went from a minor crime to you know, a big problem in the city. So that's really interesting. That, they, uh, because in the 70s, how about this? In the 70s, they wouldn't stop talking about graffiti. So you know, today they talk about whatever they talk about in the news, and we all get excited, right? Can I tell you, in the 1970s, 72, 73, 74, all they talked about was graffiti. And you know who they blamed it on? Black people. Wow. They said, this is black people stuff. And, and they, they really racialized it because the newspapers do that. The media does that. You know, they have interests, too. And they're trying, they're, like the New York Times. Why do we call Times Square Times Square? The New York Times. You know that, right? Like, New York Times created this idea of Times Square. So, like, they have invested in the city. They're invested in the city, and they want to see the city do well. And so then they start putting out, you know, propaganda, if you will. Really, I would call it propaganda to say, oh, graffiti's bad. But the thing is, they didn't never looked into what was really happening. They just started inventing this devil called graffiti. Mm-hmm. And I'll tell you right now, graffiti writers were not out there smashing windows, pulling the fucking emergency cords and vandalizing in that sense. Although, don't get me wrong, I've done that in my life. But th- that was not the the graffiti vibe. That was the angry vibe. That was when I was like trying to kill somebody, you know what I mean? It was not when I'm trying to write graffiti. But at the same time, like they um conflated the anger that was happening in that city and the and the poverty with the city with this new thing that was graffiti and in fact i say they they invented our style they invented graffiti because they they made it seem like so bad mm. and then you know when you're younger you're like oh i want to get down with the bad shit you yeah, know what yeah. i mean and so and and you guys all know graffiti's not bad yeah. it's very few people in the graffiti community that you meet that are like actually evil human yeah. beings it's usually it's usually good people, actually. Because you talk, 
you talk about how the media portrayed it, you know mm -hmm. what I mean? And like the general public obviously listens to the media more than these kids. But if you break it down, these kids are just the black sheeps of their family. They just want a sense of belonging, a sense of creativity. You know what I mean? They want to break out of this mold, this conditioning that this government is, you know, teaching them the schooling and all that. They just, they want to feel something different. So yeah, they portrayed as blacks and I think Puerto Ricans they mentioned. And m meanwhile, it's just the youth in general, you know what I mean? Because growing up, you definitely felt like a sense of separation. You felt like you had your own ideas, but you couldn't express it because all these grown-ups, you know, they didn't want you to do these things. So, yeah, it's very interesting how even nowadays, you know, the media portrays certain things, but they don't get down to the root of the problem. They don't sit down with people and really talk about, you know, shedding a tear with them and talking about their real problems. They just say the general thing, and everybody believes it in their fucking pretty houses. You know what I mean? Yeah, man. It's, uh, yeah, yeah, it's funny because you also said what do something along the lines of, or maybe you didn't say it, but it was in the PDF. Maybe it was a quote, something along the lines of, "What do they know about a world that they're they're not in?" Yeah. Something about what do these adults know? Because it yeah. was seen as something only done by youth. Mm. Well, I mean, no. That's the funny thing is that for so long they we allowed the New York Times or adults to talk about uh, a, a game that children were playing. Yeah. And so if you accept an adult's interpretation of a child's game, mm -hmm. you're, you're accepting more nonsense. I mean, so here's the thing. So it, I start in my thesis, I talk about Tacky183 and what he was doing as a child's game. And I connect that to um, the readings, the texts that have come before that have spoken about child's play. Not really child's games, I'm sorry. I should call it child's play. Uh, child's play has been going on for as long as there have been children, right? Mm -hmm. um, but in the early 20th century, people started writing books about this more. People were very interested in children's stuff. This is what leads us to um, post, like, postmodern art, quite frankly. If you look at um, Picasso, if you look at Miro, if you look at... Um, uh, I can't even think of the name right now, but if you look at people like Miro, M-I-R-O, you see the child's influence on them. And um, many people thought that children and imbecile, imbeciles is what they would call them, uh, um, had this connection to God or this connection to the source, you know, whatever the source meant. And so whatever they did was really freeing. And then, and then they would ask the children, what is it that you drew here? What is this that's on the wall? And the, and, and, and the kid says, oh, well, this is a dragon, and this is that, and this is the next. And, you know, they have fantastic ideas about what it is. And people are like, oh, that's what it is. That, you know, they, either they laugh at the kid or they accept it. They usually laugh at the kid. You usually laugh at a little child who tells you, I just, you know, and they drew, like, circles on the wall, and, oh, there's a dragon and a castle and, a, you know, a knight and everything, whatever it is they're, they're, they're imagining. The thing is with graffiti, Tacky183 says his spiel, other people say things, the adults start taking things, they start taking a couple of cherry-picking words and saying, this is what it's about. This is what it's about. This is about fame. Everybody wants to be famous. And then they start trying to ridicule graffiti writers for wanting to be famous. And, and, and you think about that. He's like, well, isn't that what everybody in America is taught to believe? Is you want to be in Hollywood? You want to be some famous person? You know, so how do you ridicule that? But all these other ideas, you know, and even art, quite frankly, the idea that graffiti is art was an idea that was ridiculed for at least the first 10, if not the first 20, if not still today, yeah. ridiculed as being an art. And what I'm saying is, 
you can ridicule things as much as you want. At some point, that ridicule becomes the consensus reality. It becomes the consensus, you know, the, the idea that we're all, this is actually art now, you know what I mean? And um, so you can't trust adults when they talk to young people because adults are always trying to put their adult brain onto what the young person is saying. Shut and so yeah. they shut them down right away, you know, uh, and they just say, oh, so this is what they mean. And it's like, yeah, yeah. no, nah, the kid was just having a fantasy. You know what I mean? And I'll tell you, graffiti really come it, to me. Uh, what I think is so exciting is that it's spawned from a fantasy. You know what I mean? It's really the idea of graffiti, the way that you guys and every other graffiti writer who I know, who's, it was about it. Our identities, our lives are spawned from a fantasy. But, bro, that brings me back to fucking religion. You know, if you grew up any which way, you know, Catholic to protestant to jewish to muslim to whatever you, you're also coming from a fantasy from one one i what at one time that was a fantasy it was an individual imagination that somehow the people got yeah. down with you know what i mean and to me that's like like i don't even care to talk about graffiti anymore i want to talk about that mind fuck you know what i'm trying to tell you <laughs> like how is it that we just start accepting reality yes. that is yeah. created by a by a human right yeah. but um and have but, a strong like mold and passing it down like very strategically and uniform like you know it's it's very interesting how strong it stayed over such a long period of time like religion I mean you know so I, I got a question you were talking about how the adults they say this is the point of it or it's this it's that what do you think is the point of it of graph great question uh, I tell you I, I I found it to be a really open kind of thing so it's whatever you want it to be and you know what what proves this the most is this book and this cover so what do one million ja tags signify um and you see the cover is this white flag mm -hmm. that's on top of the brooklyn bridge um that was done by the team Wermke leinkauf i'm saying it in german Wermke and leinkauf i mean if you google Brooklyn Bridge, white flag, you'll see them. Um, these guys are from Berlin, and they went on top of the Brooklyn Bridge, took off the American flags. I remember that. Yeah. And they put mm -hmm. these white flags that were stitched like American flags, but everything was white. Yeah. And so they made the, white, the American flags white, right? And they, and they put up these flags. Now, a lot of people are like, oh, that's the um, flag of surrender. Mm, so, yeah. like, the news jumped on it, and they're like, oh... I'll never forget one of the covers from like the New York Post is hipsters surrender, right? Because they're trying to make fun of the art piece. Yeah. And other people are saying, oh, America must surrender in Afghanistan. This is a uh, political piece. Other people are saying this is um, this means that this means that. And when I spoke to Vamke and Leinkauf and I, I asked them, I said, what is this about? They said, dude, this. I mean, they said, Alta. They said, this is a white screen for everybody to project their fears onto and they have a beautiful video that i hope is one day made public on vimeo of of all the different newscasters and how how much fear <coughs> excuse me they they fucking uh, uh uh riled up 
around this. It was up there for like eight hours, motherfucker. Uh, uh, 12 hours tops. And they have all these videos of people saying, oh my God, the Taliban. Oh my God, this has to do with this. This has to do, like everybody was, yeah, yeah. And, and it was so true what they said. You can project all your fears onto this white that's flag so, as much so as you want. And, and it worked. That's what it totally wanted. worked. Yeah. And what I'm saying is now, you just asked about graffiti though and what does it mean? And I'm gonna tell you right now, to me it means... As an acid head, as an LSD person, and also someone with a PhD, it means whatever you want it to mean. Again, if you're writing your tag in this New York City style, I think you know what it means in this New York City understanding of it. You know what I'm trying to say? But it can mean anything else. It can be an art. It can be a game. It can be a competition. It can be, I don't give a fuck. It could be, you know, anarchy type. It could be anything you want it to be. It can really be, actually... I believe graffiti is so open, it can be anything it wants to be. And so in this book, What Do One Million J Tags Signify? I don't follow J.A. and say, oh, the things that J.A. says are right. I, I just stare at this man's graffiti who's, who's had more graffiti than anybody. Uh, uh, you know, maybe Map is getting up in those, <laughs> in those numbers. No, no, don't laugh. Map is, a, is my hero. Oh, at, now he's become like a, one of my fucking Batman heroes. But... But uh, J.A. was the, the most, like, the most um, always doing it type of dude. Yeah. And so I was looking at him like, what does this mean anyway? Because it's also a reflection of my own life and, uh, with graffiti, you know what I mean? And um, so I'll tell you right now, real talk, graffiti doesn't mean, it means whatever you want it to mean. Okay. That's a, that's a very good answer because I feel like most people don't have an answer. I've asked a lot of people that and they don't usually, usually have an answer. It took me lots of research to figure that out. I, I think back in the day, I would have told you it means fuck you, get out of my face, I'll fight, I want to fight you. Like, honestly, like back in the day, before I got um, this time to reflect, before I got the time to go to Germany and, and stop being crazy, I, um, I would have told you, yeah, it means fight, I want to fight you. It means I, I want to hurt you because that's where I was in my yeah. life, let's say. You know what I mean? I was in a very angry place. So there you go. You can act as Freud or the Rorschach man who can see what's happening. When you ask your, uh, the, the, the person you're interviewing, what does graffiti mean? You might get the vision of what's happening in their life at that moment. So it means mm. fuck you. It means art. Oh, that means you're an, you at know, that moment yeah. you're an artist, perhaps. It means competition. Maybe you're in that competition. You dig? Yeah, you're talking about how graffiti can mean anything you want it to mean. And... I was thinking about this earlier before you came on, how like New York City came f has, a, has a certain style and it came from a certain style. But then, you know, I, you, you said you've been to Germany and I also been to Germany because I have relatives there and I noticed their styles and they tend to shy away from really having a New York City like, um, like, a, like a bubble letter, like a fill-in, like a throw-up. They tend to go more for the burners and the straight letters and the wild things, you know what I mean? And then you go to Brazil and they have their own calligraphy and they have their own styles. So it's very interesting how... From, from the core of New York City, people just incorporated their own and said, fuck it, we're doing our own thing. You know what I mean? It's very, I don't know how that came about. It's so cool looking and at it now and I everybody has that. their own thing. I love that idea. And also, if, we, if we're thinking more, again, about the ideas of uh, individual fantasy becoming a um, consensus reality, and then how that consensus reality branches off into different places, mm -hmm. I think it's beautiful. So I'll be honest with you, when I first got to Berlin, yeah. I was calling a lot of these motherfuckers toys. Yeah. I'm like, like yeah. even my best friends, I'm like, you are a toy. Saying, yeah. I'm like, seriously, dude, you are a toy. <laughs> but I didn't understand that like my idea of what it meant to be a toy or not a toy had everything to do with what like 
like where Dondi said yeah. in Subway, you know, whatever. Like, I, 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 if you can't burn like Lee, if you can't burn like Dondi, you're a toy. If you can't do what Scene did, yeah. you're a toy. But I'll be honest with you, in the 90s, we never thought that way. We was always against that Subway art shit. Mm-hmm. I'll be honest with you. Mm-hmm. Like, I grew up, actually, I'm just saying in the 90s, not I grew up, but in the 90s, a lot of us would make fun of these dudes. Yeah. So we, I would really... I would actually make fun of Scene, who is the godfather, who is the king, who today I would never say a bad word about him. But when I was younger in the 90s, he had a tattoo shop in the, in the village. And I'll never forget. I'm, I mean, I, I look back on the story with regret. I, I could have got him to hit my black book 100 times because I was always chilling in the village. You Although dig? You had this mindset of that old school was kind of. We would we yeah. would make fun of him for saying things like, "Oh, you gotta have your clouds, you gotta have your lightning bolt, you yeah. gotta have your three D." And me and my, bo- I'm telling you, me and my boys, we thought it was so stupid that you gotta have clouds and a three D, and you gotta have fucking jigger jiggles. You know what I mean? Nah, yeah. motherfucker, we in the hood now. We we writing our shit without jigger jiggers. We're yeah. not doing clouds. And the funny thing is that to because I was at a point in my life, I was like maybe 14, 15 years old, where I just wanted to fight. Mm. You know, I wanted to say no. Yeah. And that's, you see that with people. So before you accept anybody's interpretation of something, mm. first understand who it is who's giving you that interpretation. You know what I mean? And, and where they're coming from. Um, because, yeah, I was stupid. I could have had some fresh scenes in my black book. I could have had everybody else who was hanging out in his, because he had everybody who was, who was a good, I mean, I tell you, really good graffiti writers were hanging out over yeah. there. And we were all like, fuck that. We like bubble letters. Yeah. And, you know, mm-hmm. I still kind of feel that way. Yeah, you talk about how it's a graph is an evolving practice, which is, it relates to what we're saying right now about how it's different in Germany, it's different in Brazil, it's different in Philly, it's different in, in Seattle, it's different in New York, because each one evolves its, its own little way. And how it's, it started as one thing, but just like how you said, it can, it can mean the purpose can be anything. It could pretty much turn into anything. So I was wondering what your thoughts are and where you think it's going to go from here because a lot of the stuff that's going down now probably wouldn't have been accepted in the 90s or even the early 2000s. Imagine 20, 50, 60 years from now, what's it going to be? Right. Well, you know, that, I mean, that kind of brings me back to the thesis in the sense that what was it when it started? Tacky 183 was taking tags everywhere. Mm-hmm. And this is what the article talks about. Why you got to write your name Again, with a marker, not even spray paint. Tacky183 did not use spray paint, okay? I mean, if he did, he did. But he's famous for taking a fucking black marker, you know, uh, and, and writing his name on a bunch of places with a marker. Some people would say that's how you write graffiti, right? Norman Mailer comes about with this book called The Faith of Graffiti, mm-hmm. 1974. Uh, um, and he's... He's got a bunch of pictures in there from John Narr, which show things that we today would not consider graffiti. We would consider just toy scribblings on the wall, you dig? But this is where graffiti started. It started with markers, and it started with, you know, you get a can of paint, and you write this, you know, funky S like this, and you write something like uh, Super Strut 188, whatever it is, you know what I mean? You write, you write a funky name and, and, and where you're from. And it wasn't really meant for you to do it all city. You know, mm-hmm. Tacky183 was the guy who said, the new rule is to go all city. Yeah. Other people would be like, no, nah, I write this in my neighborhood and that's enough. You know, mm-hmm. Tacky183, he announces uh, the new rule is we got, you got to go all city. You got to be seen up in JFK, LaGuardia, Shea Stadium to fucking Yankee Stadium to wherever else, right? Coney Island. Um, 
Norman Mailer comes out with this book and he says, oh, by the way, this is art. So Norman Mailer says, graffiti is art. And people start picking up on that, saying, oh, shit, I'm, I'm painting art now. I'm not just painting, I'm not just painting some, some little name in the, in the neighborhood. I'm actually creating art. And you see, of course, before his book, there were guys who were doing uh, uh, straight letters and fill-ins, and, and, and you could even call them burners on the sides of trains. But when he, Norman Mailer, who was a big-time person in those days, you may not know this, uh, but this dude, Norman Mailer, was, he was always on the TV. He was always in the newspaper, always in magazines. Like, that dude had a big voice in New York back in the day. He says graffiti is art, and I'm telling you right now, graffiti writers took him seriously, and they started painting art. And that's why you see Blade all of a sudden. Where does Blade come from? What is a Blade? Yo, 1975, Blade is recorded doing some of his most beautiful masterpieces. Actually, I'm sorry, I should go back to 1974. I believe it was the, there's this book, um, oh, I can't remember the guy's name, but he has pictures from like New York City, Graph, 1973 to 1975, and you see the original, the beginnings of Blade's pieces, and they're like really toy, but they're also really beautiful, you know what I mean? And then you see Blade pop out in the 70s, in the late 70s through Subway Art and other um, publications that have his work. Blade was creating art. He was not creating graffiti. Blade is the premier graffiti artist, okay? I would say Lee and Dondi, although they are artists, were also graffiti writers. But Blade was creating art where he would have backgrounds, you know, full cars. Although, again, Lee and Dondi did the same, definitely did the same thing. But but so much respect to Blade for being that guy who comes out and says, I'm doing this. Now, again... In the 90s, I looked back on Blade and I said, that dude was a toy and I would never draw like that. You know, because I was a little kid who also was a major toy who didn't know what it meant to be an artist. And I thought you have to write straight lines. All the, everything has to be straight and clean, you know, to be an artist. And Blade wasn't straight and clean all the time. But he, he to me, is my, he's the best artist ever. I mean, like, this is Picasso. To me, Blade... My man Blade, Co-op City, the Bronx. Uh, I can't call him my man. I don't. I don't know him. He is the greatest artist of my genera- of my life. There's nobody better than Blade. And yet there was such a time when I thought he was a toy. And so, it's this idea of like, just every every couple of years things move. And so, you're right. Things wouldn't rock back in the day that rock today. But who? Who cares? Yeah. You can't go back to 1995. Only in my mind can I go back to 1995. And so why hate on fucking the Europeans of the world? I mean, I, I cannot hate on Sao Paulo people doing pizza shao. How can you hate on that? You know what I mean? Even though it looks so funky, you can't understand it. And, I, and a lot of people are like, well, look what they did to the building. And I, I don't know who a lot of people are. I'm, all I'm saying is like, and, and I never heard nobody say that to me. All I'm saying is, when I see these buildings with a piece of shell, Sao Paulo style, I, I say, I want to buy that building. That's, that should be the museum. Yeah, you dig? That to me is art. Yeah. But that shit definitely would not rock when I was painting yeah. back in the day. Um, even to, uh, to today, Cash 4, the shit that he does. He's a homie, by the way, of mine. Uh, there was a time when I looked at his shit. I'm like, that shit is disgusting. Cash 4 is the biggest, you know. And But I tell you, I look at Cash 4's work and, 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 and the crew he rolls with. Those people do amazing work. How about this? Even 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 better than Cash 4. I mean, not to say better, but even deeper. Gen 2. G-E-N uh, uh, Roman numeral 2. Mm-hmm. And these dudes, when they came out in the 90s, 
I was hating on them. I don't know if they came out in the 90s or 2000, to be honest. I don't remember that well, but that shit's all a blur for many years. But what I'm saying is like, I was like, yo, what are they doing? They're making this shit look like white boy shit, you dig? And to me, it had to be this like really hardcore hood shit or else it was, or nothing. You understand what I'm saying? So I was, I was, I was caught up in what styles are supposed to be. And I, I hated white people. Still do, but back then I hated anything that even reminded me of white people. And yeah. so I look at like a graffiti that's like cute. You put a smiley face in that shit, fuck you. You put a peace sign up because Gen 2, he would put up a peace sign and shit. I'm like, yo, fuck you. Why are you saying peace? This ain't no peace. We're at war right now, my G. And like, um, I just want to say like, today I'm the biggest Gen 2 jock there is. I love Cash Four's work. I love what a lot of these people who, you know, let's just say went... We're not doing the normal shit. I love what they do today. But back then, when my mind wasn't right, I was like, nah, they're stupid. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's, so you, you're talking about Blade, which reminds me of something else I wanted to ask you. So you know Blade, I don't know if you know this, but he did a, he did a collab with Supreme. They did like a little shirt for him, and I'm assuming he got some of the money. And that's a, that's a thing a lot of graph writers, and not a lot, but graph writers end up doing. What do you think about that? You know, making money off of something you dedicated your whole life to. Or like something people would say, quote unquote, selling quote out. Quote unquote, se- selling yeah. out. Oh, okay, I got you. Well, no, I mean, I mean, listen, I, it, it's difficult to talk about selling out. Yeah. I mean, you're right. All right, who could be? Who's the biggest sellout that I would from graffiti? It's hard to say, like, what it means to sell out. I'll be honest with you, like, street art, in a way, to me, is really ugly mm-hmm. because, in a way, street art represents selling out in in the idea of you are making a poor neighborhood look pretty and then real estate people can sell that neighborhood so like bushwick for instance uh williamsburg places that were um uh known as let's say poor areas for a while started getting street art. And I mean, I'm thinking New York, but this is, this is global. This isn't just local. They did this in Berlin. They did this in London. They did this in Paris. All like poor neighborhoods are great places to write graffiti on. You know, you have a lot of wall space, right? But then the difference becomes, is this being used to sell this neighborhood so that we can keep the people out or not? Blade and Supreme, look, J.A. also did mm-hmm. something with Supreme. Yep. I cannot fault a king for cashing in on his ransom. Now, I don't know Blade again. I don't know him personally, but I was lucky enough to meet him like two times in my life, okay? And I tell you right now, the man is a king. The man is an artist. I don't think he's rich. And he he better be rich. As long as, you know what I mean? Like, Blade, Lee, should be wealthy human beings. Blade and Lee. I was about to say Dondi, but obviously Dondi passed away in the 90s. But I'm just saying, like, scene... I don't know if he's wealthy. I don't know nothing about the man. I never met him in my life. But I'm going to tell you right now. These are people who should be wealthy because they, Duster, should be wealthy. These, these are people who, who created, to me, what is like the, they created graffiti or, or, or they were part of the movement from Subway Art. And so it's hard for me to, I cannot hate on Blade. I can't hate on, I can't, I hate Supreme, but I can't hate on Blade and J.A. I don't hate Supreme. I'm just saying they got played out when everybody started rocking it. It was cool, like, and, you know, when nobody could afford it, maybe. But um, that, uh, I don't have no problem with Blade, so-called, 
I mean, any collaboration he does. In fact, I hope more people do collaborations with Blade. So I did a, I did a painting about Blade's work. I stole his style and I turned it into Play-Doh. Yeah. You know, and that's kind of what started my PhD was was taking these these subway art pieces and, and flipping them up. And I turned him, I turned Blade's piece into Play-Doh, mad big out in Bay Ridge or Sunset Park mm-hmm. on the cusp there. And the New York Times talked about it. I don't know if y'all seen that. Mm-hmm. Um, the New York Times took a picture of it. And they even put it in the art in the section. Art section, yeah. I had the color pictures of the scene piece, which mm-hmm. turned to Joan of Arc, and the blade piece that yeah. turned to Plato. And let me just tell you something: Blade wrote me a letter, wow. which I still have to this okay. day, saying how how much he liked that. And I'm gonna tell you, man, I don't need money. I don't need shit in this life. I only need Blade to tell me he liked what I did. <laughs> I mean that. Yeah. I, I, you think I'm lying to you? Yeah, yeah. I only need Blade. And Lee yeah. and Revs and Jay. I only need a couple of guys who I fucking look up to and women. Believe me, Lady Pink, man, you know, I would, I wish she respected me. You know what I'm saying? I don't think she does. Uh, because, um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm a dirty dog. But other women, I would love their respect too. You know, graffiti, gra- for me, graffiti is where the respect is, is, is earned. And, uh, yeah. That's what's up, man. Um, Fuck, man. I got. Uh, I was going to ask you about the whole Talkie 183 and Lord Byron thing that you talk about. So, just to give a little background on it, um, you make a comparison about how Lord Byron, he's, he was in Athens and he, he pretty much tagged up. He wrote on a, I think it was a pillar of a temple. And Talkie 183 wrote on whatever he wrote on. And you compare New York to Athens in that time period because New York was somewhat of a burnt landscape of the Bronx and upper Manhattan, as was Athens. Yet they both wrote on something, but the response from the public was very different. Uh, Lord Byron was, it was more or less praised. Whereas the talkie one was considered crude and just seen in a negative light. What do you have to say about that? Well, what you're talking about right now is something I'm looking for in my thesis right now that, um, I didn't actually invent it. This is something that comes from Cresswell. Oh, shit. What's his first name? Craig or something? Let me just look real quick. Um, T. Cresswell. Tim? Oh, man, I can't even remember right now. But Cresswell, he wrote this, he wrote this brilliant um, doctoral dissertation called In Place, Out of Place, Geography, Ideology, and Transgression. And he... he understood that Tacky 183 was a Greek American, okay, and who was also said to be the beginning of graffiti. And if you know about history, the American uh, educational system will have you believe that Western society began with the Greeks. They don't talk about the Egyptians, they don't talk about uh, Timbuktu, they don't talk about nothing. Uh, before the Greeks, they just say the Greeks. The Greeks began everything, and so he does this brilliant thing where he's like, "Look at, look at these these ideas, you know, um, as far as like beginning stories, you know, uh, uh, stories of of where things came from." And he goes in, he goes in and talks about that a lot. So that that wasn't my uh, idea, but I definitely talked about it because I went 
to Greece while I was living in Germany, and I saw where Lord Byron wrote on in a place called Sounion, and yeah, he, he carved his name into this thing, and the funny thing is, the tourists are all told, this is where Lord Byron tagged his name. It's like a, it's a glorified thing. Like, come here and take a picture of it, yeah. you know what I mean? And so, like, the tourists go to take a picture of it, and then, but then, yeah, Tacky was riding on these dilapidated trains. So, by the way, Lord Byron, Again, we call him Lord Byron. His name was something else, Byron, not Lord. <laughs> yeah, Lord yeah. Is, 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 a, is a name they put on top of him. It's like calling him a king. Yeah. Well, here's the thing. He went down there to help the Greeks because he was a British guy who believed that if he helped the Greeks, he's going to save the world to understand the origin again, to understand the source because everybody was believing that the Greeks were the source of everything. You know what I mean? So he's like, oh, I'm going to go to there. And then he goes there. He actually fights for them. He dies for them. He is the, he's a hero of Greece today, this British guy. Um, and he wrote, he, he carved his name into a temple. So now listen to this. Graffiti writers would, very few graffiti writers would write on a church. Mm-hmm. Lord Byron carved his name on a church. Although a defunct church, you're right, you know, the Greeks weren't practicing that religion anymore. But talk about disrespect, right? Tacky writes on these broken down trains and becomes a pariah. Yeah. So uh, what, what Tim Cresswell did in his um, thesis was brilliant. And he helped me think more and more about Tacky. And um, when you read my thesis, you'll see how I go into all these other things with Tacky. And, and the idea of Tacky, again, Tacky183 is a human being. I met him in person. I know he's a real man in the Yonker, in Yonkers or the Yonkers. I don't know what they call that anymore. I always called it Yonkers, but then I went up there and people were like, the Yonkers. I'm like, mm-hmm. what? The Yonkers? Seriously? Uh, uh, he's a real human being, but he also, his name stands for something in the graffiti community, which is the beginning story. So it's, it's important to separate this person who was of Greek origin, it's important to separate him and his story from the story of graffiti. And that's what I do in my thing. But, um, yeah. But, you know, what's interesting is that Tacky183 sets all this graffiti off. Okay, let's just say. Or the article about Tacky183 sets it off. Um, Norman Mailer comes in with his book, The Faith of Graffiti. He takes what Tacky183 did. He He says this is art. Now, again... Uh, Norman Mailer was a writer for 25 years before this time. He was already like in his 50s. He was a man who served in World War II, uh, wrote a book about it, became like an American hero for his writing, but also he was a rabble rouser. He was a dude who would be like always saying shit uh, uh, against the status quo or differently. He wrote this book called The White Negro. No, I'm sorry, not a book. He wrote this essay called The White Negro in 1957. And that's where he talks about the hipster. Now, today, people, or not today, but maybe 10 years ago, people would be making fun of hipsters. They, they, they use this word to make fun of white people who don't um, subscribe to white supremacy. So if, if you're a white man who doesn't uh, dress in a suit, the way I'm dressed right now, if you're a white man who uh, goes along with the program, you know, you become a cop, work in a bank, whatever it is, you are a square in Norman Mailer's uh, uh, writing. But if you are the white guy who talk a little bit differently, who don't fucking go down with that white people shit, who's against a lot of what the white people do, and you get down with black people, all right? So, th- so, so this is a time of complete segregation. Mm-hmm. He's saying if you're a white person who gets down with black people, if you can understand jazz, for instance, you know what I'm trying to tell you? If you can understand what's happening, then you become hip. And so the hip white is the one who 
who gets out of his whiteness. You dig? And the square white is the one who stays within the square box of, I support the military, I support the police, mm -hmm. everything to support my fucking, you know, my, uh, my livelihood. Mm -hmm. That's the square. And so he says, basically, Norman Mailer says, these dudes who are writing graffiti, and he didn't think it was any white people necessarily, although he said something like, like poor white people are doing it, but um, he feels like these are the... These are the hip people because they're doing something very hip, which and hip again means against the status quo. And graffiti was very against the status quo. Yeah, you say that how being against the status quo, how white people they didn't usually hang out with, you know, black people, people out, out of their color. And you were saying how graffiti actually formed a type of unity because people of different genders, people of different color, people of different backgrounds, religion, age were hanging out with each other and like Pretty much, you know. I don't know about gender. I don't know about uh, age, nah. but I definitely say race. I say <laughs> yeah, white boys race. and black yeah, boys race. and Puerto Rican yeah. boys got together back yeah. in the day. But women were always uh, um, like Sean kind of. Yeah, I mean, Lady Pink became famous, yeah. and other women are famous, but they are also always subject to the macho ideas of of, mm. of the boys of the boys uh, yeah. uh, work so uh, they have the, to fight for their respect even more absolutely much. and gays also listen I um, <clears throat> you know gay people were not accepted back then yeah. in society this is a this, again this is a very new thing I, I, again y'all are younger than me in the 90s to be gay was to be uh, someone who would get beat up a lot and so I don't know if you can quite wrap your minds around that but gay people were shunned they were beaten they were not respected and so there was definitely not any gay or out gay people you know what i mean they're, they're, if they were gay they were in the closet in, in these times um but in a way you could say graffiti has these beautiful open feelings yeah. and and my whole life i also felt like i was doing something that was against segregation i knew that we weren't jim crow anymore but you could tell by living in a white neighborhood and then the blacks live over there you're going to a white school and the blacks go to that school it's like oh so we are still in jim crow but we're not going to talk about it okay i again taking lsd uh uh thinking thinking different thoughts i'm like wow if i write graffiti in a black neighborhood i am i'm making an expression of my hatred for the status quo in the system. I am making an expression of white people are in black spaces. And when black names like Vifer, to see Vifer in a white neighborhood was incredible for me because I was like, wow, black guy crossing into the white zone. Because honestly, again, I don't think you guys can really quite appreciate the segregation, again, not by the police, but by people. Yeah. So you could go from, and this is something that I, to I, was, I was taught by DG, who passed away a few years ago, who CH also spoke about, uh, a, a great man. He passed away with 42 years of age. I, I have 41. I hope I, I can make it longer than him. Um, he was an old-school graffiti guy who did so much for the younger people. Uh, he could break dance better than anybody, I swear to you. But he, he was from Fresh Pond, all right? I used to call that French Poodle because I, I didn't say Fresh Pond. French Poodle Road over there. And that was all Italians and, 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 I don't know, what do you call them, Albanian people, mm -hmm. right? And then you go, I swear, two blocks down, and you hit, like, this, like, Bushwick-ish area where the, where the Z train turns or the M train. What, no, the M train turns. And it's all Puerto Ricans, right? All right? So I used to, and then 
you go a few more blocks and you hit the black zone. You know, what is that? Uh, uh, is that bed style perhaps? And it was so crazy. I used to ride my bicycle through there all the time. And it's like, that was really like a serious racial thing that we grew up with where there's the white neighborhood, Puerto Rican neighborhood, the black neighborhood. You know what I mean? And also everybody was fighting each other and hooking up with each other. Like whites and the Puerto Ricans would fight the blacks, the blacks and the Puerto Ricans would fight the whites. Never the blacks and the whites get together to fight the Puerto Ricans, but I'm just saying like it was such a racialized city that to me in the 90s, I thought what I was doing was was genuinely anti-racist, genuinely anti-status quo, genuinely like against what I saw. But then again, it gets hijacked by other people's voices and they say, oh no, this is this, this is an art or this is this or that's that. And I was like, no, I was really trying to be like showing But again, how can you do that? You know what I mean? When who knows that Nov is a white guy? You know what I mean? Who knows that Vifa is a black guy? Only if you're completely crazy in graffiti, you go and meet people, you read these names, and you really like touch the wall and think about it so much, and you only dream about it. Like you can't. Like nobody else gives a shit about the tags. You know what I mean? But I was saying in my head, I was like, oh yeah, this is. They just think of it as like the common man outside. You just ask anybody. It's just vandalism. It's tagging. It's, it's right. just childish. These kids, they're just young kids. Right. But like you said, man, after people could listen to you speak about graffiti and its meaning, I honestly think they would have a different viewpoint on it. Well, I mean, it, you know, I don't know if I'm doing the best job right here on this podcast with you guys, but I, I got my PhD here. I wrote my PhD. I wrote a thesis, 300-page thesis. It's, it, I was given the uh, magna cum laude which is not difficult the, to do. Yeah, but it's not the best. The best is summa cum laude. Yeah, that's your role. Uh, if you could do that, you're a machine. I was pretty pissed that I didn't get the summa. <laughs> <laughs> but I, no, I did the mag. I got the magna cum laude. So it's like a serious work. It's a serious um, uh, tome on graffiti. And so you have to read it. And I hope to have this. I need a publisher. Okay, let me just put this out here before anything. I need a publisher. I need a real publisher to help me published this i have awesome pictures and i have this uh serious phd i would like to do it just like joe austin has his book and it's published by columbia university press i would love to get like a real uh academic press to publish my thing because it is academic work and yeah like we're talking about now finally people are coming around to seeing graffiti in a in perhaps in a different light or some people yeah, keeping an open mind at least. You know, sure. I do I do want to just say though? So I started with Tacky One Eighty Three Spawns Pen Pals. The the middle is of of my thesis is uh, the faith of graffiti by Norman Mailer and John Narr, and how he how that book really turns graffiti from like a game into this idea of it being an art. But I just really want to recognize Martha Cooper and Henry Chaffant right now. Mm-hmm for their work on subway art. And I want to say this. I've met both uh, Henry Chaffant and Martha Cooper. Um, and they are still, like, humble people, you know. Like, you, like to us, you, they're the kings. You know what I mean? But you meet them, and they're completely humble. They're completely understanding that their book infected our brains. You know what I mean? I met Martha... Cooper in many times and many places throughout Europe and also in, in New York and 
she's only been love, and I respect Martha Cooper so much. Henry Chiffon, I met just uh, a couple months ago in the Bronx Museum when they had the retrospective on his work, um, which was a, a brilliant show in the Bronx Museum. I'm so lucky that I was able to go there. Um, and I respect them so much that, yeah, like this is where the work comes from. The only reason I understand graffiti is from subway art. So again, when I was younger, I thought subway art was created by like Scene and Dondi and Lee and Blade maybe. I, I never actually thought about the photographers. Mm-hmm. In fact, again, it has something to do with my, my racial hatred, uh, hating white people, and I am a white man, uh, but understanding that white people are the devil, I looked at Henry Chalfant and Martha Cooper as just more white people who were probably devils. I'd never looked at them as real human beings. And so doing this, this work, doing this research, made me see them as real human beings. Um, and Martha Cooper has much more to her life, as, uh, as does Henry Chalfant have much more to his life than just subway art. They actually are, are, are uh, actualized photographers, actualized artists, actualized human beings. You know, they, they, they're, they, they've lived their lives and, and created so much. But we, as graffiti artists, we, um, or graffiti writers, we, um, we just see them as these, like, mom and dad or grandma and grandpa type of people. And I just want to say, though, um, that book, though, it meant so much to me. As much as I, I, I made fun of it as a child, I also, I really lost my mind looking at those pictures and then now, doing the research, I realized, oh my God, Martha Cooper having to be on these buildings and to get these pictures, so difficult. I have so much, I have, I have lots of pictures of my graffiti from back in the day, but they're all shit pictures of me like going with a bullshit camera right up to the fucking thing and pushing the button and walking away because I didn't know what it meant to take a photograph. Martha Cooper, Henry Chaffant, these people are real artists who helped create graffiti. And so... This is a very important point that I'm making right now, which is graffiti was not created by children. That, to me, is a lie that a lot of uh, people who, who just want to make graffiti into this fake idea that, you know, yeah, sure. You know, no, it was not created by children. It was not, this is not fubu for us, by us. No, 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 no. This was created between children and adults. Mm-hmm. Adults had a lot to do with graffiti. And I'm not saying that they meant to, you know, when it comes to Tacky 183 Spawn's Pen Pals, that article was written by an adult. The adult who wrote it did not mean to contribute to graffiti. They just, they wrote this article. Norman Mailer did not have any idea of the effect his book would have on the graffiti community. But guess what? It had a major effect in the graffiti community. But Norman Mailer was an adult. John Narr was an adult. And they wrote about children's games. Now, Martha Cooper... And Henry Chaffant, they created Subway Art. They created the narrative of it. You know, they show history in it. They show what's happening. They talk about their, their, it being over. By the end of the book, Lee has the uh, epilogue or epitaph, I think he calls it, where graffiti's dead. You know what I mean? And so, like, they had this beautiful story that they created in this book. But then the rest of us, we revived it. We brought Frankenstein, Frankenstein back to life, and we, we, we would not let that shit die. And I just want to say mad respect to Subway Art, mad respect to Henry Chalfant, Martha Cooper, and everybody featured in Subway Art. Blade, Lee, you guys are my favorite. Dondi, rest in peace, you are my favorite. Um, I also want to say that I went to the Bronx Museum 
show the f- opening night when Henry Chaffant was there and there were so many big time graffiti writers. So I got to meet Lee first time in my life, show him, show him my work a little bit. I, I, I met Blade. I met Revs, king of fucking graffiti in the 90s, Revs, R-E-V-S. I mean, beyond the 90s, he's uh, to me one of the greatest artists. Um, oh, and I saw all these guys who I recognize. I can't, I can't remember the names right now, but you know, all these like Break dancers who were down back in the day, but also a whole lot of other graffiti writers were there. Um, so yeah, mad respect to the old school. Mad respect to the, yeah, to, and and mad respect to the new school. Mad respect to graffiti writers today. Everybody continuing it. You know, it seems like a ridiculous thing. Everybody will continually tell you it's ridiculous, but if your heart is into something, go with it. You know what I mean? As long as you're not really hurting people, as long as you're not really, you know what I mean? Like. Like, really, really hurting people. I think what you're doing is a beautiful thing. You know what I mean? Uh, graffiti should... Uh, I don't know. Graffiti's going to do what graffiti's going to do. I hope to continue writing graffiti. And, uh, yeah. Respect to you for coming out here, yo. Thank you so much, yeah, man. Thank Seriously. you again for the books, man. The yeah, knowledge. Thank you for everything. Man, this means so much to us. Yeah. It just keeps it alive, man. Thank More you. than you know, man. Uh, thank we, you. We really appreciate it. Awesome. And O.V., 